Hi, I'm Melanie. And I'm Justin. And we're a couple of counselors. Welcome to the podcast. I was worried you were going to say episode and then look to me because I actually don't know now. I think 11. It was my guess, so. Yeah. All right. You did know. So, it's been two weeks, I think, Mm -hmm. but we are going to do a third part here. Is that right? Sure. Yeah. So, part three of talking about trauma, we're going to talk about treating it and how uh, some of the models that we use, some of the models that are available, and just more generally about how folks who have experienced trauma, whether it's prolonged, complex, or you know, a single terrible thing, um, can find some support. And I'll start off by saying the advancements in trauma treatment is what really got me excited about diving into trainings and learning how to treat trauma. Um, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of transformation and experiences people are having that a few decades ago may not have even been attempted. Um, And to me, the the promise of that, and by promise, I I mean, you know, the the hope of that is really encouraging, exciting, important work um, that to be able to watch people experience things like uh, someone the other day talked about a sense of freedom even within their bodies of not feeling this tension and constriction and bracing, but mm-hmm. being able to be more present, uh, something like that, where um, if you read literature 30 years ago, it, it seemed like there's not really much you can do. There's no medication you can take. You just got to manage. Yeah. Yeah, and there, certainly the early days were you know, back to the Freudian talk therapy idea. Mm-hmm. So, well, I think that's something we should talk about today in terms of talk therapy versus these other treatments, which to your point are uh, exciting because they offer the possibility of relieving somatic symptoms mm-hmm. in a way that we didn't used to be able to talk about. So why doesn't talk therapy get there? It has to do with the processing. So I think of talk therapy as being a helpful way to help people build insight into you know drawing a line from a to b and certainly there's a lot of um people find a lot of help in that and recognizing that their patterns of behavior are linked to something in the past or kind of making those connections for themselves um but the there was somatic relief that we'll talk about through things like emdr is because it's operating on with a different part of the brain mm-hmm. um yeah that's that's the part that is new and exciting to me i see talk therapy as getting to the river and something like emdr other mind body interventions is helping you cross the river that's a nice analogy thank you (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and same with me in terms of excitement i was fortunate enough to take a class in grad school i think in 2016 um, with deb dana who has been uh, on the front of the clinical application of something called polyvagal theory which we'll talk about a little bit but in the 16 weeks of that course and 
the textbook for which was The Body Keeps the Score, which many people will be familiar with. But through listening to her and learning from her and reading that book, I became kind of like you were saying earlier, Mel, like really excited in a way that I hadn't felt before. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the origins of my passion for um, learning more about how to treat trauma because yeah. it was really exciting. I I often find this moment when I explain to somebody what what I specialize in, where I invest my energy and time, where clients tend to um, come for services. And I talk about trauma that it's helpful to explain part of the treatment of trauma is for me finding interventions where you don't have to share the details and sit in the experiences um, that what excites me about these interventions for lack of a better word right now uh, is that some of them you don't actually have to share a word about it. It's more of cult- cultivating or, or bringing up something to work through, yeah. but that work is internal. Uh, the person tells me how it's working, not the other way around. And, yeah. and I think that felt shift um, moving from something that upon recall would have been very activating. And now after doing some work together, it is more neutral and they sense that they feel it they are recognizing a different language the, their thoughts around it have shifted um mm. i are you open to sharing some of your experiences and maybe that that might be helpful to get and we're talking about in general terms but an yeah. example of an intervention and how it shifted for you yeah i just right before that i, I just want to say the the foot in the past, foot in the present hmm. idea, because I think that's important for people to recognize that that is a foundational aspect of treating trauma, whatever the model is, is this capacity to revisit the past without being overwhelmed by it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why the foot in the present part is that you're still in the room, you're still embodied, you're still able to um, feel yourself and your surroundings and recognize that you are not there. Hmm. Um, and I just think that's a really, as we talk about different yeah. things, that's a really important thing to, to remember that that's necessary because the alternatives are overwhelm. What a lot of people would think of um, traditionally as, you know, like a flashback, um, being completely overwhelmed by a traumatic memory or dissociation, checking out. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing one of those two things, when you're remembering a memory and, and being triggered by it viscerally. Flooded or, or crashing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or when you're remembering a memory and then numbing out, no processing is happening. Nothing good is happening. You're, you're doing what we say you're being re-traumatized. Yeah. Um, and I think that's actually something I, I realize now why I wanted to say that is because what you said earlier when you said... Um, about talk therapy i'm not remembering you don't have to share the details that's exactly it yeah is that so frequently people come in and they're like i'm so sick of telling therapists my trauma story and i'm like you shouldn't be doing that like you know not not you shouldn't be doing that like it's your fault but it's like the therapist shouldn't be allowing you to just 
pour details out because again, you're re-traumatizing yourself if you don't have the skills to be present um, or if there's no goal there, right? Like it's never like, okay, what we're gonna do this session is we're gonna sit down and you're gonna tell me every aspect of the terrible thing. Like that's mm -hmm. not trauma treatment. That is either re-traumatizing someone or at the worst, doing nothing particular. <laughs> you're not mm -hmm. processing anything. You're, you're just kind of asking someone to pour it out. So, Or maybe you, at, at, at best it's that. Yeah, at best yeah. It's, it's kind of doing nothing. Um, but but I, yeah. I do think there is this desire for someone to be able to talk about the experience without it being activating and taking an exposure therapy type approach where if you just talk about it over and over yeah. that it will become um, less activating. But the reality is you're not, you're not really having access to it. You're yeah. not, you're standing at the riverbank again. Yeah. Um, and anyone that has had the experience, like I know for myself personally, I was able to talk about my childhood in a way that I think most people would assume, wow, she's pretty comfortable talking about it. Yeah. She's not crying, even though what she's saying is pretty disturbing. Yeah. Um, she must have, or she could have processed through some of these things. And it wasn't until um, I started doing some deeper interventions and, and work um, through training and through having a therapist that I realized that I, I cognitively had processed the, yeah. the thoughts. I, I could talk about it. Yeah. Um, but viscerally, in my nervous system, it was still very much in um, the state in which it was originally. So for yeah. me, I have um, a pretty active freeze response and that freeze response was developed in childhood and it was hard to see how the things that I could talk about were still showing up as a freeze response when I needed to make a decision, for example. And mm -hmm. it could be a simple decision. I distinctly remember being in Florida and visiting with a friend at a parade. And there was a decision I needed to make if I was going to go back with you to our home or if I was going to stay with my friend and then go back later. Mm. And this was a recreational activity. There was no like report due. I wasn't clocking it around. I had access to a ride. Um, and yet I was paralyzed. I could not make the decision. I rem I don't know if you remember this, but I remember you staring at me and me <laughs> having this feeling of like, I'm embarrassed mm -hmm. by how difficult it is for me and I'm as every second goes by I'm still not no closer to an answer what yeah. is wrong with me right mm -hmm. and that's what we've unpacked in other things of yeah. you know it's not what's wrong with me it's what happened to me and why this is showing up right so yeah. I from this point on our living room couch years later I can see that but in the moment it's this spiraling thing that until I actually received some EMDR treatment um, I was able to see how that was linked to a freeze response in childhood where I didn't actually have those kinds of choices mm. and was transported back to feeling uh, stuck between things that were outside of my control. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a perfect example of the difference between, like you said, cognitive processing and the work 
of linking things and then actually processing in a way that relieves the the nervous system symptoms because you could have you know you say now years later on the couch you could make you could have some insight about that you probably would have you know 30 minutes later had some decent insight about that yeah but it, but to your point that insight doesn't make the symptoms dissipate like you still frozen yeah um so i don't want to dodge the question you asked me like five minutes ago um yeah and on just for all of you at the edge of your sh- uh, edge of your seat i stayed at the parade because i know you're all just dying to know <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> no, just... i didn't allow you to finish <laughs> i'm oh. kidding <laughs> i wonder how long it took I, long enough for you to be like, okay, I'm going. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> and something I often say to people is not making a decision is making a decision. And I'm sure I heard that from somewhere. I'm not saying it's coined by me. Yeah. Uh, and that probably is what happened. Yeah, yeah. Is that I was still probably paralyzed in some way as you left. And therefore, that was the decision that I was going to stay. Yeah. <laughs> but carry on. What did I ask five minutes ago? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just, you asked me about... um sharing some of my own experiences and yes. I have a similar similar situation that highlights this difference in you know like an insight or cognitive processing versus a getting relief at the level of the nervous system so um I've struggled in parenting with being overwhelmed by the emotional responses of the children at times mm-hmm. um and you know we have a couple pretty sensitive kids and pretty, you know, sometimes intense kids, but also, you know, kids have big feelings all the time. That's what they do. Yeah. Um, so I struggled for a long time with the, the vi- again, visceral, right? So I'm getting, I'm getting a physical response to their emotional experiences, you know, particularly if they're like prolonged, like a, you know, five minute uh, meltdown, you know, which obviously in the age of like two to four is very, very common. So I was having this visceral response, you know, tight chest, feeling very overwhelmed, um, unable to, to regulate very well. And so just to start with the cognitive part, like I did a lot of work with the woman we mentioned before who came here and helped the family and, um, you know, some my own work, just thinking about my life and talking with you. And, And I had some sense of why this was happening. I, you know, have, two really great parents but they um you know the emotional realm was not a strong point for them so like I I don't know that I uh was able to feel things fully in development like I could understand how I could be uncomfortable in the realm of the emotional the emotional realm and I was still having these significant experiences of hyper arousal when they were you know again having big feelings um and anyway yeah I did I was a client uh, where we targeted that in EMDR. And I remember saying to you, however long later, like it's, it worked, Mm. you know, (laughs) like it's not, it's not gone at all, but this, but there's significantly lessened, like to the point that I'm able to be so much more present Mm -hmm. and it's such a, like the physical sensation, the physical sensation is dissipated in a way that allowed me to stay present because I, you know, part of the work that I was doing is recognizing when I wasn't being helpful. Mm-hmm. So if I, if all I can do is say, please stop crying or, you know, put on like a, a tone in my voice that is not comforting and not regulating, then yeah. what I would do is I would just 
remove myself. Like I'm not helpful now. I need to regulate and come back and then I'll try to be helpful, which is, you know, fine. Again, I'm trying to do damage control and like not be unhelpful. And sometimes I'll let you take the wheel, but the ability to take a breath and then sit down next to them and, and be with them, mm-hmm. which again, didn't happen 100%, but happened so much more after having done the EMDR crossing is such a life changer. You know, I think most people listening to this could, could imagine, you know, whatever trigger they may have, mm-hmm. how, different their life could be if they could experience some the relief at the level of the body yeah because i again i think if that relief at the level of body first of all allows for much more pleasant experiences but also just what it really does it allows for you to be present for your life it allows you to stay involved and show up the way you want to show up in your life um which is so powerful so that that's the part back to the beginning that's like really exciting about trauma treatment yeah, because if you, if your body starts to respond or react rather, um, there is already in motion so many patterns with thoughts and yeah. behaviors that it it's really challenging to stop the train. It's much e- easier, I wouldn't say, but you know, it's more approachable to be able to address and, and target that and have a a shift somatically in, instead of working backwards. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but... No, that makes sense. Um, maybe we should talk because it's the area that you and I work the most, a little more about EMDR because some sure. folks may be very unfamiliar and not know so at all. So it's a really uh, complicated in terms of the name right so the and the person who created or discovered i think she would have said um emdr francine shapiro writes that she would have named it something different yeah. <laughs> um but it's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing emdr yeah. and part of you know the eye movement piece what that's getting at is activating right and left side of the body in in the brain um, using bilateral stimulation. And that can be done with eye movements, moving your eyes back and forth, similar to REM cycle sleep. Or that could be done in a tactile way with buzzers, buzzing like if you're holding them in your, in your hands or people could put them in their socks or there's many things you can do. Mm-hmm. Or you can do it in an audio sense with headphones and beats going back and forth in your ears. There's several ways that it can be done or tapping. Um, but the point and the way I explain it and maybe you explain it differently is if you know anything about REM cycle sleep, um, you know, when your eyes are moving back and forth, and you've maybe seen a, a cat, a dog, a child do that in your arms, um, that's when your brain is taking out the experiences of the day and sorting them and discarding the rest. Sorting what they think might be helpful or linked to past things. I conceptualize it as a filing cabinet. So putting away, okay, this is helpful. I want to hold on to this or I want to do this different next time. Let's remember not to do the thing I did today or whatever it is. But when you experience something that overwhelms the system, when you get to REM cycle sleep, they don't know how to file it. So they just put it to the side in its unprocessed, raw, unfiltered form. And then when something reminds you of that event, you're having to go through and the unprocessed 
raw experience again. Um, what EMDR does and some other modalities is takes that uh, what's been separated out and not fully processed and allows you while you're awake to start chipping away the pieces and sort and file what is necessary to hold on to and let go of the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and that experience happens by looking at your thoughts, images, body sensations, emotions, beliefs about yourself and other people. And those things are tracked. There's a whole protocol. This is by no means a replacement to EMDR training this conversation. I'm just giving you a general overview of what um, what we're talking about and anything you might want to you know, amend or add to it. I'd love to hear. Yeah, no, I mean, that's good. And uh, like you said, it's this is going to be just a very brief uh, overview so people can have a sense of what we're talking about. Um, I think I would just to talk about, it's an eight stage model, but just to talk about the kind of important things. Um, you come with an issue. So like my issue would be like, I want to be more present when my kids get really upset. Mm-hmm. You, um, do history taking around the, the impact of that on your, on your life. And, um, and then you're moving to targeting a memory. So, one of the exercises we do is a float back exercise where basically it's like when is the first experience of this issue arising for you Hmm. um and then the desensitization part is processing with bilateral stimulation and the goal is to make the memory less intense in the body and then you're uh installing a positive thought so if my thought is like i'm a failure as a father you know a positive thought would be i'm trying the best i can or i'm doing the best i can with what i've got um, mm-hmm. so yeah, so, and then there's a, you know, a few more steps, but the, the thing I want to, I think the thing I want to add is what we talked about earlier, which is that what a lot of people report is how helpful it is to be able to process and not have to worry about what the clinician is maybe thinking about them or what the mm-hmm. clinician might say back, because all that the clinician says in the process of actually reprocessing is notice that. Mm-hmm. and let's keep going like literally that's it notice that notice that so yeah. so the clinician steps out of the way and allows the client to have their own process mm-hmm. and to your point the client has complete agency over how much they report so some clients will talk a fair amount between each set mm-hmm. some clients will say very very little and the mm-hmm. fact that they get to choose that is really nice yeah things i want to add one there's a huge emphasis on resourcing and by resourcing i mean learning ways to self-soothe, regulate, be able to have that dual awareness Justin was talking about earlier. So be able to look at something in the past and then something in the present, or I, you know, toggle between a place that, a state that feels calm and a place that feels irritating and and go back and forth, finding regulation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that by the time you get to the part where you're, reprocessing you have prepared for that that's not the first session is not okay we're going in yeah um and the other thing i'll say is there are variations on the protocol of emdr and one that i try to use and maybe you do this or maybe you do not but is really allow people to opt in to additional um what we call sets so instead of it being all right let, let's go let's go with that i i would say something like are you open to going with that 
Yeah. And that, you know, and because we say very little during this process, I do think the, you know, invitation is important. And for some people it's a yes, absolutely. That, I, that, that felt unresolved. Or for some people it's like, I'll take a little break or whatever yeah. it might be. But there is that pacing element, which I think is really helpful um, in yeah. the process. And I I know we're f- zooming in on EMDR, but there are plenty of other um, therapies and interventions. This just happens to be one that we've selected and are trained yeah. in. Um, so, you know, I, I wanted to say that too. Yeah, and... I mean, I, I don't know if it's worth mentioning a few. I Certainly the reason I feel most comfortable talking about EMDR is because I know the most about it and because I mm-hmm. have seen, you know, really awesome results both as a therapist and as a client. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly internal family systems is another model mm-hmm. that can be really helpful. Um, and that's basically you know, again, with a 30 second overview, but this idea of acknowledging various parts of the person, um, or the mantra of IFS is that all parts are welcome. So one of the things I say to people is that you can't heal while warring with yourself. So if you have a part of you, a child part that shows up sometimes freezes, uh, you know, to Mel's example earlier, earlier, and you just hate that part of you then you're going to have a lot of trouble healing because by definition you hate part of yourself so the the power of the of the ifs model is starting with let's let's talk about why these parts show up where they came from and let's Mm -hmm. give them their their due in terms of what they were they're trying to do for you yeah even though maybe they're not helpful at all now yeah and, and ultimately if someone says to me i hate this part then i reflect back to them like then you're speaking on behalf of another part. Yeah, because, another part showed up to hate it. Right, because yeah. actually the self-leadership within this model is curious and connected and and has that compassion. And without that, we know another part has stepped forward. And so yeah. there is this element of um, basically allowing... Um, enough distance to see what parts are coming forward and have more of a an understanding of the interplay of of different things yeah and i have found it to be and i, I practice more parts work i'm um you know i've had i'm informed by internal family systems most certainly but there is um you know a lot of rich interventions and and support within parts work to really help people understand what parts are forward and how to have space from them. It's another strategy that, that, um, people find a lot of relief and self-acceptance and understanding. Yeah. Yeah. When you say, when you say distance, um, or space from thinking Mm -hmm. of, you know, back to this idea of being able to visit something that is really difficult and painful. So for Mm -hmm. example, a child part, that maybe was treated really terribly yeah. being able to visit that with distance but also with enough presence mm-hmm. that you're you're there you're still in the room with the therapist it's that combination of space to view it and presence in the moment that is kind of foundational for again any type of treatment of trauma um yeah because if i say to you and maybe i've used this example in the past but if i say to you i'm angry where do you go with that 
right? The, but if you go with, I'm noticing that I'm feeling angry or I'm noticing that a part of me that is carrying anger, just step forward. Yeah. But that might just seem like a bunch of semantics, but ultimately, okay, if I'm noticing that there's a part of me that just stepped forward with anger, I can do something with that. Yeah. I can have a conversation with that part. I can uh, walk around it. I can take a break from it. I can go closer to it, whatever it might be. But I'm angry. Okay. That's yeah. m- that's much harder to, to try to navigate or figure out what to do next. Yeah. Yeah, and there's so, you know, I'm just thinking as you're talking about this idea, there's just so many different frameworks, you know. Yes. I mean, like, just I'll name a couple. Acceptance and commitment therapy uses the word diffusion to talk mm-hmm. about this exact thing. So cognitive fusion being you are fused to a thought, meaning the thought is you and you are it. Whereas diffusion is, is something as simple as I'm, what Mel said, I'm having the thought Mm-hmm. that I, I am experiencing a lot of anger or I'm noticing that I'm angry. Just just those couple of words is diffusing you from being the anger. Yeah. And then through the lens of Buddhism, there's the idea of um, of the self and the fact that it doesn't make any sense in the context of Buddhist psychology to say that you are something mm-hmm. because you you are not that. It is a part of you. It can't be all of you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's just so many different you know, different frameworks. And I think, yeah. And my hope in this conversation, yeah, of course we're talking about a few different things, but my hope in terms of a takeaway is that there are several options. Yeah. This is an evolving field and there is hope and we'll continue, you know, I think we could probably do a podcast on each thing and really do a deeper dive that way to do them more justice. But I think yeah. for today, just having uh, a general sense of modalities that connect mind and body and possibly, you know, spirit community, but more macro and interconnected experience, but also the past and the present, the future the ability to exist outside of your uh, reactions and symptoms you know, mm. there's so there's so many components to this that um, we see people every day experience shifts and yeah 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 <clears throat> for sure there's a there's a lot of hope um, yeah I think yeah like you said it's it's so hard to do a justice without talking for hours and hours. So maybe just narrowing in on some other things in the future. I do want to say that we have a topic request for our next podcast. So we'll be um, doing that. And then for people who care, we're going to talk a little bit about narcissism and all aspects of that. Um, And yeah, we'll go from there. All right. Thank you for sticking with us and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right. See ya. Thanks.